going to begin a journey. I don't know if you want to just call it a series or a theme, whatever you want to call it, but we're going to start diving into some of the miracles of Jesus. Uh, we're not going to do every single miracle. In fact, uh, I, the, the, uh, John wrote and said if uh, you were to write down all the works that Jesus did, there would not be enough paper and enough place to store them. And so uh, we could go on through every single miracle in all the Gospels, but we're actually going to highlight some ones that God has laid on my heart that I think are important for us to understand today. And so we're going to start in Mark chapter 6, and we're going to read verses 30 through 44. Uh, I know that's a lot of Scripture today, um, but you can never have too much Bible, amen? So Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44, if you got it uh, and you're ready, would you just stand to your feet with us this morning so I know you're ready? And like I always tell you, it'll be on the screen if you forgot your Bible. Um, there's also Bibles underneath the, the pews if you forgot your Bible today or if you forgot to charge your Bible today, if you're somebody who likes to use uh, a, a tablet or something of that nature. Mark chapter 6, verse 30 through 44. This is what it says. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And Jesus said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot all from the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and Jesus had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away and go, away to go into the surrounding countrysides and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, said, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, We have five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. Sounds a lot like Psalm 23. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties, and taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing, and broke the loaves and gave them into the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all as well. And they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces of bread and the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Heavenly Father, we come before you today asking that you would just add your anointing and your blessing to this message today. God, let it be something that we can receive in our hearts. Open up our minds and our ears to receive from you today, God. Let this be a word that transforms our life so that we may walk out of here today different than how we came in. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. I love how it talks about how there were 5,000 men. Uh, At this time, when they would write, they didn't count uh, the women and the children. So actually, there are some scholars, depending on what research and studies you you read, that believe there's anywhere from actually like like 30,000 to 40,000 people there. If you start adding all the children and the women and uh, and all of that, 
uh, there's actually a lot more than 5,000, which makes this miracle all all the more powerful. It's already powerful that it's 5,000 men, but when you start adding women and children in there, it just adds so much more depth to how much God provided. And today as we dive into this, the first thing I really want us to understand before I get too far ahead of myself is I want us to understand the desolate place in this scripture. You see uh, the, the disciples had just returned from uh, Jesus sending them out to, to teach and to do miracles and to minister uh, out, in the, out in all these other towns and villages. They come back, and they're a little bit exhausted. Uh, they've been traveling. They've been doing ministry. They've been uh, preaching the word, doing miracles. And they come back, and after they tell Jesus all the different things that they did, uh, Jesus says to them, let us go to a desolate place and rest a while. Take a break. I want you to know today that sometimes God will take you to a desolate place, a place where nothing's really happening. And there's really a couple different kinds of desolate places, the first one being a place of rest, a place of restoration, a place where you go and and you get a chance to take a break and catch your breath and, and find something to eat and relax after working for God and being obedient to Him. There are times where where we need that rest in our life. And God will lead us to places, and sometimes we feel like something's wrong. We've, for whatever reason in our culture today, we think that we need to be busy all the time. We think that we always have to be doing something. And, and, and let, me, let me be clear on this. We should never be lazy, but sometimes we need to be restful. Sometimes we need restoration, because when you just go, 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 go all the time with no break, all of a sudden you're, you're moving, but it's like you're running on a treadmill. You're not really going anywhere. So sometimes it's even biblical. Even God took a day of rest when he made all of creation. Sometimes it's okay to sit back in the recliner and watch a football game and just spend time with your family and just be there and rest. That's the first kind of desolate place. That's the good desolate place that was intended for them to go. But sometimes those desolate places, we we can find that They are not so pleasant, not so restful. In the scripture, we see that the people from the towns and the surrounding areas, they saw these disciples, they saw Jesus, and the Bible says they recognized them, and they ran from all the villages and all the countryside and towns, and they got there ahead of them. So sometimes we go to find a place of rest and really find more work. And in this scenario, they show up, and Jesus has compassion. Jesus never looks at people as a burden. I think that's a powerful thing for us to understand today. God never looks at a person in need and says, oh great, here's more. Oh, what problem do they have now? Jesus instead sees all of them and the Bible says he looks at them as sheep without a shepherd. And he is moved in compassion to care for them. Today we serve a God that when he sees a need and he sees hurt, he never sees it as a burden, but rather he sees it as an opportunity. And we should have that same mentality. Yes, we need rest, but we also need discernment to understand what desolate place we're in. Has God led us to a desolate desolate place for us to receive rest, or has he led us to a place of desolation to be a means by which we provide for those in that desolation? Some hope and something for them to eat. So they get to this this place of desolation, and the crowd's gathering, and the Bible says that Jesus was spending time with them, and it was starting to get a little bit late. And the disciples didn't look at him the same way Jesus did. 
They're looking at this crowd. It's getting late. And they're, I can almost sense a little bit of attitude in the Scripture. See, I read the Bible a, a little bit different than maybe some people. I, I like to put myself in the scenario. I like to say, well, what would it have been like if I was there? What, what would I have been thinking and feeling in, in, in my heart and in my mind? What, what would my emotions be? And, and so if I put myself in the shoes of the disciple here, I've been ministering for, for weeks and, and I've been traveling and doing all the work of the Lord and I come back and Jesus says, let's go rest. And, and I'm like, oh, finally some relief. And then all of a sudden there's something there. I'm going to be a little bit frustrated. I'm going to be a little irritated. I, like I thought I was going to catch a break here. And now we're doing all this extra stuff. I would be a little irritated. So I can imagine that if I'm irritated in my flesh, that these disciples might have been a little bit upset in their flesh. They were exhausted. And they saw these people gathering. And, and they begin to tell Jesus, listen, it's, it's late. Let's send these people home. Let's send them into the surrounding towns. They didn't even, it was one, it's like they were saying, listen, Jesus, let's tell them they don't have to go home, but they can't stay here. Let's send them off somewhere else. And Jesus looks at them and says, you feed them. He says, you, you feed them. What, what do you got to send them somewhere else to eat? Why don't you provide something for them? Why don't you take care of them? And, and you know, when you can put yourself in the shoes of the disciples and you're looking at all these people and you're saying, man, if we're hungry, these people are hungry. Let's send them off somewhere else. This is too many for us to feed. The disciples, you see, were looking at the desolation. They, they saw a need and they were trying to get rid of the need. But they were going about it in a way that Jesus did not intend them to. They were saying, let's send this problem somewhere else. Jesus was saying, no, hold on a second. I've called you to be the solution to this problem. Jesus is saying, you feed them. Don't try to cast them off. Don't try to get rid of them. He, he was trying to teach them, I believe, that this, this is not a burden. This is an opportunity. See, Jesus saw them as sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus saw that the real need wasn't so much for bread and fish, it was for guidance, for a spiritual leader in their life. And he was trying to teach his disciples that you see, when you see a person in need, you see somebody lost, and, they, and see these people were, were chasing after Jesus, they were getting over there because they knew who he was, and they were trying to find some fulfillment with him, and the disciples were just wanting them to go away. And Jesus was telling them, no, 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 that's not how this thing works. You don't get to just send people away. You don't get to write people off simply because you don't see a way to meet the need. He tells the disciples, they said, it's, this is a desolate place. There's, there's nothing here for them. There's no way we could feed them. Should we go all the way into town, buy 200 denarii worth of bread, and come all the way? See, denarii was a huge amount of money back then spend all this money that they probably didn't have, come back and feed all these people? Like, you really expect us to do that? Jesus, and then Jesus looks at him and he tells him this. He says, no. How many loaves do you have? Go and see. 
take a look, take an inventory of what you have. You see, I think sometimes we get so focused on the desolation and the lack that we forget to take an honest inventory of what we already have in our hands. We, we, we want to send all these people away because we say, it's desolate here. There's nothing available to us. And Jesus gives the command to them. He says, take an inventory. Go see what you have. Stop saying you have nothing. Stop saying this is desolation. Change your perspective and look and see what you have. And uh, I like to joke that they robbed a kid of his lunch. Because they find a boy, and it's recorded in the other Gospels, that they find a boy who, who has some fish and some bread. And they, they take it from him, and they take it before Jesus. And they bring it to Jesus, and they said, well, this is what we found. We found five loaves of bread and two fish. You know what's really funny to me about this scripture? Is Jesus told them to go see how many loaves of bread they had. But they came back with a little extra. You see, they found more than what they were actually looking for to begin with. It's amazing how that works. How times when we think we have nothing available to us, when, when we feel like we have nothing left, it, you, could, you could apply this to your finances, you could apply this to your joy, your peace, you could apply this to any scenario in your life. But when you begin to look for something, you find it. That goes for if you're looking at the desolation or if you're trying to find some loaves of bread. But what I found is that when you begin to search for the loaves of bread, and I could dive into this real, real deep and get into how Jesus himself is the bread of life. When you begin to pursue him in your life, when you begin to search for him in your life, not only will you find him, but you will find extra. You see, God doesn't give just enough. There's always an abundance with God. And so they go and they find more than they're looking for. They don't just find bread, they also find fish. And, and you know, I don't know if they really realized this at the time, the how significant it was that they found more than what they were looking for. But today, I believe that it was mentioned for us to have that faith to know that when we get looking and we stop looking at what we don't have and start looking at what we do have, we will always find more than what we were looking for to begin with. You will find more joy than what you thought you would. You will find more peace than what you thought you would. But it doesn't come from looking at desolation. It comes at searching for the bread of life. So they take this. And you know, it actually reminds me of another story in the Bible, now that I think about it. It's in 2 Kings. It's the story of Elisha and the widow with oil. You may know it. Elisha comes to this, this house, and this, this widow just lost her husband, is in severe debt. Her husband owed some people some money, and she says, they're coming, they're coming to take my boys. They're going to put them in the slave trade, and they're going to use them to pay my debt. I don't know what I'm going to do. And Elisha looks at them and says, well, what, what do you have in your house? What, what do you have? And she goes, I have nothing but oil, a little oil. Well, when I read that, I can't help but ask the question, which one is it? You have nothing or you have a little bit of oil? Because to me, you, you said you had nothing, 
But it's like when she initially said nothing, she took a moment of reflection and said, oh, wait a minute, I do have a little bit of oil. It's amazing. She, she went, and it's, it's reflective of what Jesus told them, go and see what you have. And when Elisha asked that question, well, what do you have? Initially, she wanted to say nothing, but then it's, she's like, oh, wait, I do have a little bit of oil, but, but it's just a little bit. Elisha gives her instructions. He says, go collect as many jars and as many vessels as you can. Bring them here. Go borrow them. Bring them all in. And so she does that. And he says, take that little bit of oil and start pouring it into the jars. And you know, it's, it's amazing of what happens when, when we are obedient to God and do what he tells us to do. But I imagine when she took this oil and began to pour it the first time into the first vessel, she began to pour it out. I wish I had a way to demonstrate this to you a little bit better today. But she began to pour it out and it began to fill up. In her mind, she probably said, at any moment, this jar right here is going to be empty, and all we're doing is transferring it over. But that jar began to fill up. And maybe in her head that first time, she thought to herself, uh, well, if she's anything like me, she would have thought this. Oh, well, I guess there's a size difference in the jars here, and that's why that one just looks full. Until she looked back in that jar she just poured out of and saw that it was full. And she said, oh, well, that's, that's kind of funny. that's kind of interesting. And she began to pour again and again and again. And I love it because she never ran out of oil. The need ran out. The empty vessels ran out before the oil ran out. There's a whole nother preaching on the oil that could be had if I had time today. You see, when we begin to see what God has already given us in our life, what we already have, we, we like to say it's nothing but a few dollars. It's nothing but just one good memory. It's nothing but an ounce of peace. We say it's not enough until we put it in the hands of God. And when we put it in the hands of God, we find that it is more than we ever thought it could possibly be. This, this was multiplied beyond what this woman ever even could possibly imagine. It was more than enough to pay her debt. See, she was all worried that she didn't have enough and she was going to lose her children, her, the children she loved so much. But God said, no, just obey me and I'll take care of it. And so I, I start looking back at that and then I look back at Mark chapter 6 that we're looking at today. And I see how they come back. And at first they said, we got nothing. Jesus said, no, hold on a second, go. And they said, oh, we had nothing but five loaves. Oh, and and we also have two fish. But you still take that, and I can still see maybe in the disciples' minds, not maybe, because if it was me, I would be thinking this, that that's, that's okay, we found this. We didn't even think we would find this. It wasn't like they had the bread and fish themselves. They had to go get it from somebody else that just so happened to be there. They got it. They brought it back to Jesus and said, this is what we were able to come up with, but you still see this is a big crowd. And Jesus takes it and he says, just do what I'm telling you to do here. He takes it from the disciples The Bible says he breaks the bread and blesses it. There's significance in that. 
Because you see, he wasn't just breaking the bread, he was multiplying it. If you take five pieces of bread and cut them in half, you now have ten pieces of bread. What what he was symbolizing is I'm going to break it and bless it so that as it's passed around and people begin to take their portion of it, the blessing of the brokenness that I have given to this bread, it's going to give it an ability to multiply. Why? Because it was broken in the hands of Christ. It was taken into his hands where he was going to bless it. Have you ever felt or, or, or been told you're blessed but felt broken? I think of Jesus getting baptized by John the Baptist, and the Bible says the Spirit led him into the wilderness. Right after, God said, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And he was led into the wilderness to be tempted. He was blessed, but he was challenged by broken. You see, what I've learned is it's very similar to biology and science that God blesses and multiplies through brokenness so often. You see, in in biology and in science, we see that as you lift weights and you exercise, there's, there's this amazing phenomenon that happens that your muscle tissue is broken down, and as it begins to heal, it grows back bigger than what it was. You see, he wasn't just breaking the bread. He was blessing it and multiplying it. And as he broke it and blessed it, he was saying, this is going to be plenty. This is going to be enough. And I love what he did. He gives it back to the disciples. He's saying, I blessed it, I broke it, it's your job to steward it. You see, the things that we have in our life, we, we don't, they don't belong to us. The funny thing is, is that bread long before Jesus walked this earth, was created by him. It came from him, it was given to the people, and they gave it back to him. He blessed it and then gave it back to the disciples and said, steward it. We have a responsibility to steward today. This this is a principle, and this teaching here is why I believe in tithing. Whether you do or not personally, that's between you and God. But I believe in tithing because I believe tithing is me giving my bread and fish into his hands so that he can bless it. And see, he was asking for all the bread and fish in the scripture, but in our life today, he's just asking for 10% of what we got in our bank and our paycheck. That's it. That's all he wants. And he will bless that. This isn't a message on tithing, but I'm going to give this to you so you can understand it in this way, is that when we place what we have in God's hands, He will bless it. And then we have a responsibility to steward the rest and what He gives us back. And when we steward it, we find that it goes way further than we ever thought it would. You see, the the, the disciples took this. The, The bread was broken. It was blessed. And they begin to pass it out to the people. And, and much like the woman with the oil, I thought maybe they said, well, this first, because they broke them up into hundreds and into fifties, and they broke them into small little groups. Well, this was enough for this group, but I know, I know over here that it's, it's not going to quite fill the need until they went over there and they filled the need. And it's like, well, I never thought that would happen. Then, then they say, well, maybe that was just coincidence here. And so let's go over here and we're going to bless this group now. And and then this group, 
and then this group. And at some point, they got to say, I really thought this was going to run out. And I believe that there was another moment where it finally clicked with them. I said, listen, he did something here. He blessed us in a way that it was going to expand beyond what we could ever even expect it to be. You see, today what I really want you to get out of this miracle is the miracle of provision. See, in our lives, it's really easy for us to, to begin to struggle in our minds and our hearts and wonder if we'll have enough, if we'll have enough joy, if we'll have enough peace, if we'll ever, if we'll ever be able to feed our family, if we'll ever be able to pay the bills. It's easy for those things to be a struggle for us at times. It's easy for us to worry about those things. But what I want you to understand is when you take your situation and you put it into God's hands, he will bless it and he will multiply it. If you don't think you have enough joy to get through the day, put it in his hands. If you don't think you have enough peace to get through your situation, put it in his hands. If you don't think you have enough finances to pay the bills, put it in his hands. And he will bless it, and he will give you something back. And then he will tell you to steward it. You see, stewarding joy and peace is a lot different than stewarding money. Because to steward joy, it takes a lot of focus, it takes a lot of determination, it takes a lot of faith. Because stewarding money is different because it's tangible, you can hold it in your hands. And that one's easy to teach on because it means, well, hey, don't waste your money. Don't spend it on things you don't need. And steward what God has blessed you with and all those things. But when we, when we shift it to another realm and another uh, topic of provision like joy or peace, it, it, it comes down to us stewarding our soul and our spirit. You see, if God blesses you with joy, the, t- the immediate temptation is going to be to go fill your head with the same negative thoughts you had before you put it in his hand. That, that's the temptation. When, God, when you put your situation into his hands and he hands you back some joy and hands you back some peace, the, the, the quickest way to missteward and to mishandle what joy he has given you is to go back and turn on your phone and get on Facebook or, in, or, or whatever, or turn on the news, open up the newspaper. That is the quickest way to mishandle the joy he's given you. You see, I don't really need to tell you a whole lot about managing money necessarily and, and that kind of provision, but there's another kind of provision that we need that is harder to grasp and understand. You see, if you want to steward the joy of the Lord in your life and you want to steward the peace of God, stop filling it with things that are against what He has said and against what the joy is that He has given you. And fill your head with His Word. You see, when you get into His book and you start filling your heads with His promises... With, with his words and his teachings, there is something powerful that happens with you. My mom always taught me, if you get garbage in, you're going to get garbage out. Anybody else ever hear something like that before? What you fill yourself with is what comes out of you later. If you fill yourself with the negativity of this world, all you're ever going to produce is negativity. But if you fill yourself with his scripture and his truth, you will find peace and joy that you will not find anywhere else. But there are still times where you need to say, God, I need a little more joy today. And my situation is hard. I don't have the peace that I need to have, so today I put it into your hands. And then when he gives you that joy and your peace, do not mishandle it. I've met people in my lifetime, it seems like they never are able to find joy and find peace. And what I always ask them is, 
Well, this week, how much time did you spend in prayer? How much time did you spend in God's presence through worship? How much time did you spend reading His Word? And they say, well, I, I just, I really didn't have any time. And uh, I, I was so busy, I couldn't do it. And, and I understand that. I understand we're busy. I understand that. But, but I wonder if sometimes, you know, we take our problems and use them as an excuse to ignore the presence of God. Say, I, I just, I was dealing with this situation, that situation. I wonder how many situations we wouldn't even have to deal with if we made the priority His presence and His Word. I wonder if we got up in the morning and the first thing we did was open His Word and fill our hearts with His wisdom, how much easier it would be to navigate the situations we deal with. I mean, we, we, we have a situation come up, we need some guidance, we need some wisdom, and we start consulting everybody but Him. A problem comes up, you call your friend. A problem comes up, you get on Google. Something, And we don't consult the greatest wisdom in the Word of God. Steward that by filling yourself with it and then taking that and applying it to the need around you. They begin to give it out and in this miracle of provision. I love how John's Gospel talks about this because you see there are times in your life where you won't be able to figure out where it's going to come from. If you're anything like me, you're like, I know God can provide, but where? Where's it coming from? I know He can do this, but where's it going to? Where, how's the? Where's the need going to be met from? What? Where's the source at? You 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 can trust God and still question the source and where it's going to be, and then you have to realize that He is the source. He doesn't need a source because He is the source. And so I love, I love how in John 6, where it's John's account of this, uh, it says, Jesus lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Jesus said this to test him, for he knew what he would do. He knew what he would do. Jesus already knew before he even got to the crowd. The Bible says he saw the crowd and already knew. He saw the problem before the disciples saw the problem. He saw the solution before the disciples saw the solution. But he allowed this question to be entered into the mind of Philip because he needed Philip to get a grasp and an understanding of that Christ himself is the source. You see, he wanted Philip to question it a little bit because questions lead to answers. If you don't ever ask a question, you'll never get an answer. And sometimes, it's, it's interesting, when you read Scripture and you read the teachings of Jesus, Jesus asks a lot of questions without really giving a whole lot of answers. You ever notice that? Have you ever felt like all you have in your head is questions but no answers? I feel like that's like 75% of my life, and that might be a little modest. Like, how do, especially, I know the baby's only a few days old, but I got a lot of questions. I'm already trying to figure out how we're going to take care of college. I'm already like, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? And she can't even talk yet. 
you, you, every season of your life, you start out with all these questions and a whole lot of lack of answer. And what Jesus is trying to teach Philip here is that it's okay to ask questions, but you need to understand that I am the answer. You see, when you have questions of how it's going to happen, when you have questions of how God is going to do it, you need to understand that He already has it figured out. I love it, because He says, He asked Philip this, it's almost like He was messing with Philip a little bit. Like, I'm going to ask this guy a question, and I'm, I'm going to mess with him and get him all riled up, just so he can learn that I am the one who supplies, I am the source. I love that. Jesus messed with them a little bit. I think I would like to mess with them too. That's how I am. I love it. He says, I knew, Jesus said, how, how are we going to feed all these people, Philip? You, th- you see, I don't even think feeding these people was anywhere in his mind. He probably, if, even if he saw the crowd, the problem of needing them to be fed probably wasn't even in his mind. It was just, wow, that's a lot of people. And it wasn't until that question was asked, well, hey, just so you know, these people are going to need fed. How are we going to do that, Philip? He was changing Philip's heart to understand that, listen, I already got this under control, but I need you to figure out that I have it under control. You see, there are so many times in our life where we are going to wonder where it's going to come from, where we are going to wonder how the need is going to be met. And I want you to understand today that no matter what need you are facing in your life, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. I'm, I'm almost done this morning. Bear with me just a few more minutes here. The disciples, after all was said and done, they started out with five loaves and two fish, but they collected 12 baskets of bread and fish. That, that's a significant increase from where they started. Listen, th- this, is, this is good stuff right here. They started with five loaves and two. Well, actually, let me back up. They started with nothing. They didn't have any bread, <clears throat> excuse me, or any fish. And Jesus said, go and see what you can gather. And I said, all right, well, well, we did find this. So they went from nothing to something. They took that something, put it in God's hand, and they went from something to plenty. And they went from plenty to where they collected 12 baskets full to more than enough. All because they were obedient. All because they trusted that God knew what he was doing and that he could meet a need. At the end, they had plenty, more than enough, more than they could probably eat themselves. There was an abundance because of their obedience. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 33, this is a scripture I go to when I start having times where I need to start trusting God for provision of something. This is what it says, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? I'm going to pause there. Isn't it funny how we get so wrapped up 
in these material things. And Jesus is saying life is more than that. There, is so, like, there are people, I'm, I'm rabbit trailing here a little bit, but I think it's for somebody today. There are people that think all life is, is eating and, and shopping and, and just material gain until they die. But Jesus is saying there is more to it than that. Amen. He goes on to say, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That is powerful. Stop seeking clothing. Stop seeking food. Stop seeking a new car. Stop seeking a new house. Stop seeking all of these. Stop seeking a college fund. Stop seeking all of these things and seek him. Seek the bread of life. And you will find more than you ever thought you would find. Amen. Just like the disciples did. Will you stand with me this morning?